The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. First thing I always do is go sit down with my expert chest radiologist and we use images together to first confirm that that's actually a true finding. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Risk for Recurrent Venous Thromboembolism in Patients with Subsegmental Pulmonary Embolism Managed Without Anticoagulation, a Multicenter Prospective Cohort Study. Published online uh, November 2021 in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Joining us today is the first author of that paper, Dr. Grégoire Legal, who's professor of hematology in the Department of Medicine at the University of Ottawa, a physician in the thrombosis program. His primary research interest is the diagnosis and management of venous thromboembolism, VTE including the clinical diagnosis of VT and the derivation validation of clinical decision rules for VTE. We hope that you will enjoy this conversation. Greg, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I was fascinated by the title of this article because I've had several patients admitted to my service with subsegmental pulmonary embolism, and I didn't really know what to do with it. So I think it would help if you first would uh, explain what do we mean by subsegmental pulmonary emboli, and then we'll talk about why you engaged in this study. For sure. Thank you for having me. So subsegmental or isolated subsegmental means that the most proximal thrombus in the pulmonary arteries is in a subsegmental pulmonary artery. So you know how we have the mains and the lower, then the segmental, and then the subsegmental branches of the pulmonary arteries. And so these are really like the smallest clots that we can see in the pulmonary arterial tree. I've seen this actually overcalled before. Initially, we saw that most many of them would actually be, you know, false positive diagnosis, right? Yeah. Particularly with older machines, maybe, or... And we, we have had studies showing that the inter-observer routines for, uh, for interpretation at this level. So you're right. And, and back to your question about seeing this patient on survey, certainly the first thing I always do is go sit down with my expert chest radiologist and review the images together to first confirm that that's actually a true finding. I'm so glad you said that because uh, I remember this poor elderly man who came in with a cold. Uh, they got a CT angio uh, in the emergency department. The person who reads at night was a resident and called a subsegmental pulmonary emboli. I did go down and talk to the radiologist, and he said it was an overcall, that, it, that yeah. it was nothing. So I think that's an important thing to remember, that this is a more difficult radiological diagnosis. Now, 
That being said, we do find subsegmental pulmonary emboli now. And what about that topic led to you and your colleagues wanting to do a study about this, about how to address this? Because it seems like current guidelines are up in the air about what the, what's the right thing to do when you find subsegmental pulmonary emboli. It's an old story, right? I think I still had some hair when we started looking at that. And pretty much the story is when we were using single detector CT scans or VQ scans to diagnose PE, you know, there is no way a subsegmental PE would make a high probability VQ scan, right? Or we knew that single detector CTs were very bad at detecting smaller PEs. Although when you had a negative single detector CT in combination with a negative leg dopplers, you knew it was safe to discard the diagnosis of PE. So when we saw the, the, you know, the, the upcoming use of, of multi-detector CT, we saw an increase in the proportion of patients, first in the proportion of patients diagnosed with PE and the proportion of patients diagnosed with subsegmental PE. And then we were left with the question, well, likely we weren't treating these patients before. Now we have the diagnosis. Does it mean that we need to treat them or, or is it safe not to? Talk about the design of the study and the, and the hospitals that joined with you uh, to do this study, because this, this is not a single hospital study. This is a multi-hospital study. That's right. And in terms of design, the challenge was setting up a randomized trial, for example, was quite challenging, right? Because at, back in the days, you know, the outcome rates uh, are very low in patients in whom we rule out PE, right? It's like 1% or less. So doing like a non-inferiority trial or a superiority trial would, would require a huge number of patients. So, and what we saw, because initially the questioning was about uh, that diagnostic, right? We were, okay, is it okay? Like if the diagnostic strategy before weren't picking them up, could we do something like a management outcome study uh, similar to what we do in diagnostic studies where we would consider a patient with isolated subsegmental PE as not having PEs and check that that three months rate of VTE would be no higher than what's seen after a fully negative CTPA or negative pulmonary angiography. Hence the design of having a cohort study, a management study of untreated patients with subsegmental PEs. For the people who don't read this literature, VTE is venous thromboembolism, correct? Correct. Encompassing deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, correct. Right. So uh, see if I get this right. What you did is you decided you're going to not give anticoagulants to a number of patients and then follow them up and see if they developed a subsequent venous thromboembolic event. Exactly. Something very important is that, uh, again, based on what we are doing with a low probability VQ scan or with a single detector CT, we certainly added into the study design a baseline bilateral leg ultrasound to make sure these patients would not have a concomitant deep vein thrombus. And we also repeated that ultrasound a week later to make sure that, you know, that ultrasound was really negative and that wasn't a, say, a distal DVT that would have extended during the, the first week of treatment. So in order to get in the study, they had to have a negative venous Doppler both at the time of the subsegmental pulmonary embolus and also a week later to make sure Correct. that you weren't missing significant venous thromboembolic disease other than 
potentially that subsegmental pulmonary embolus. Correct. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. What was the hypothesis and how, how we're going to analyze that? And then we'll get into the results and then we'll get into the real sticky wicket, which is what do we do with those results? So when we do diagnostic studies, what we use as an anchor is the, is the rate, the three months rate of venous thrombobilism following a negative pulmonary angiography, which used to be the gold standard for PE. And we know from, from studies that whenever someone had a negative pulmonary angiography, their risk of developing a subsequent thrombomalic event was you know, in the range of one to 2% after three months. So we've been using that number as a way to evaluate the safety of diagnostic strategies. So we would you know, use the strategy and then monitor these patients, follow them for three months. And whenever their three months rate of VT would be in range with what was observed after a negative pulmonary angiography, that strategy would be deemed safe at ruling out uh, PE. So that's how we validated before all the algorithm based on you know, D-dimer and CTPA and age-adjusted D-dimers. All the studies validating these tools were done uh, using that same outcome. How many hospitals were involved in this study? We had uh, several hospitals in, the, in Canada, in Europe as well, so France, uh, Switzerland, and the Netherlands joined as well. I must say it has been challenging to recruit these patients. Maybe initially over the fear of, of you know, not treating them, right? And, and you know, having patients who would consent to do that. It seems also that initially we saw that we would have many more of these patients and that over time, maybe the radiologist became more uh, cautious in calling uh, this diagnosis or... So we didn't see as many as what we thought we would have. You think that radiologists become more cautious in labeling someone as having subsegmental pulmonary embolus? Yeah, may, maybe, right? Because again, uh, we were, you know, 18 centers in the study and some of them were really uh, had a very good screening system where they would be made aware of each and every possible diagnosis and they were not reporting that many. So let's talk about the results because they're really interesting. It's always good to, to do a little bit from, from table one, the clinical characteristics of these people. If you have that, that information, I have it in front of me also, but uh, maybe you could just give the uh, listeners an idea of who the people are. Yes. I think what's, what's very important to interpret the results is that we were obviously cautious when we started and decided to select rather a low-risk population, right? So we decided to exclude patients with active malignancy, patients who would have had a previous episode of VTE, inpatients to hospital, right? Because all of these were perceived to have a much higher risk of, of, of thrombolytic events. So all these were excluded. So I think that's, that's really important to the, to the rest of the conversation kind of thing. In terms of table one, as you say, so as you can see, so predominantly uh, white patients, a typical, I would say, mean age sex ratio was not nothing out of the ordinary. Certainly very important to uh, discuss the fact that we did include symptomatic patients, right? We didn't include the incidental findings. So most of them had a chest pain or shortness of breath or a bit of hemoptysis. So these were, these were uh, true 
patients coming in with a suspected PE, which was confirmed by imaging as being a subsegmental PE. Most people had a single subsegmental PE, 71% of patients, and we collected that information because we thought that, again, a single subsegmental PE might have even less clinical relevance than multiple, and we'll come back to that. The vast majority of patients had a positive D-dimer, which makes sense because if the D-dimer was negative, in most cases, there would be no need to, to do a CTPA. And in terms of the CT technology, most patients were investigating using uh, CTs that would have at least 64 detectors, so the most modern technology. Great. Let's talk with the results. Overall, what did you find? Again, because we, we had designed it as a management outcome study, so the, the objective was to be able to demonstrate that the three months risk would be no higher than 3%. We did not meet that uh, objective, and the, the three months rate was actually slightly above 3%, 3.6, and with an, an upper limit of the, of the 95 confidence interval, that was uh, even higher, around uh, 5%. Well, actually, 6.1%. That meant that it was a little bit more than you had found in negative CTs in the past. Exactly. So these people are a little bit. So did age make a difference? Yeah. So it makes it makes it a negative study, right? In a way that right. we failed to demonstrate that the risk is as low as patients that would have had a negative CTPA. Right. Now you know it, the discussion is you know. People see the, the, the glass as being half empty, others seeing it being it half full, right? So some, some people interpret the results saying, well, clearly the risk is higher than what, uh, what was anticipated, or so these patients should be treated with anticoagulants. Also say, well, the risk is still maybe low enough that in some patients with a high risk of bleeding, for example, I would consider still not treating them. So did, did age make a difference? Did the older patients, were they more likely to have a VTE than the younger patients? So we did find uh, two uh, subgroups that were of, of interest, right? So again, one of them was the, as you said, the, the, the age. And we found that in patients younger than 65, the three months risk was 1.8% when people uh, older than 65 had a 5.5% three months rate with a 95% uh, limit up, up, up to 12%. It's very nice that you had both single subsegmental P's and multiple. Did that make a difference? It did make a difference as well. Uh, so in patients with a, a single, the risk was 2% up to 5.5%. And patients with multiple subsegmentals, the risk was uh, 5.7 up to 14.4. So, as you see, these two subgroups do make a difference. Although, again, like well, maybe because of uh, of small sample size, the the upper limit of the 95 confident interval, whether it's in young patient or in patient with single subsegmental, is is still you know above three percent. So. We now have information, we have to figure out what to do with it. And you already mentioned that some people say the glass is half full, some people say the glass is half empty, and I think that's everything in medicine. One of the things that you mentioned is if people have a deep venous thrombosis and you put them on anticoagulation, their chance of recurrence is around 3%. Yes. So I'm sure the half full people are saying, well, 
that's about what the incidence was without anticoagulation. So why should we bother with anticoagulation? The other people are saying, well, there is a risk. And so it might be prudent to give them three months of anticoagulation. Now, that would require a randomized controlled trial to see if it did any good. Were there any deaths in, in, in uh, these patients? Was there any major negative outcomes of these patients from not giving them anticoagulation? No. So, no, no, so all the events were adjudicated by an independent adjudication committee, and there was no death related to a PE in the study. And in the, in the events, so certainly, you know, four of them had a more proximal PE during follow-up, four of them had a proximal DVT, but none of them had a fatal event. Uh, we're not actually giving advice because we're not supposed to do that on the podcast, but what I'd like to do is say, you've probably discussed this with many colleagues, you have 18, uh, 18 hospitals in your consortium. I assume that there's a difference of opinion on what we should do with these data. Why don't you give us the pros and cons so that we can each try to decide for ourselves what's best to do? Because I don't think that this, would you agree this is not ready for a guideline? I agree. And something that has been a bit, you know, strange in that process, because it's a study that lasted, you know, almost 10 years, right, is that halfway through the American College of Chess Physicians did provide some guideline recommendation about subsegmental PEs actually uh, suggesting not to treat zoos, you know, having a rather low risk profile and to treat the one with a, with a higher risk profile using, you know, D-dimer cancer, like the typical uh, potential predictors. So as you say, I think pros and cons. So people who say, well, we, we need to be cautious and we need to treat them, well, first consider the absolute risk, right? And admittedly, we don't really know what would be the three months risk of an untreated segmental PE or undercurrent, you know, the, the last clinical trial we had was in, in 1960, right? So we don't have any modern data on untreated uh, patients for sure. The other big point uh, that is brought forward by many is, well, you only included a very low risk population by excluding inpatients, cancer patients, patients with previous VTE. So it is likely that the risk is even higher if you wouldn't have selected your patients, right? And admittedly, it's, it's also likely that at least initially physicians considering patients for inclusion would have rather included patients in whom they were confident that, you know, they, they, they wouldn't harm the patient by including them in the study, right? So that these are the two the two big points always always brought right. On the con side, as you said, some people say, well, if you look at the anticoagulant clinical trials, even on treatment, you know, two point five three percent of patients have a recurrent VTE during the first three months. So how is that different? And and you know, why would you take the risk of bleeding if if the outcome was no different uh, without anticoagulation? And I, I think the way likely, um, at least, as you say, we can't provide advice. What, what I like about the study is that it provides a number, right? So in, to inform the discussion with patients and to inform, at least we know, you know, the range of, of you know, the risks that they get if they decide not, not to treat a patient. So as I read this, if a, a young patient has a single subsegmental P and no other risk factors, it's going to be difficult for me to, to consider anticoagulation. 
once they have multiple or they have other risk factors, and perhaps age would be one of those risk factors, then I might consider uh, three months of anticoagulation with one of the DOACs that have lower bleeding risks. Uh, uh, I, I would hate to use warfarin because it's so hard to control and, and it's, you know, it's so much easier to, to use the newer agents. But I think each person is going to have to think about this in a different way. And I really applaud you and your colleagues for giving us information to think about this in a more rational way. I certainly agree. Share your interpretation. I think that's a nice way of putting things. Yeah, and, and I agree as well that, as you say, if you go for warfarin, then the risk of bleeding is, is also higher, right? So it's another consideration in these patients as well. If you choose to do that, uh, just, just a reminder to yeah. certainly ensure that this patient has no DVT and actually highly recommending to follow the, the study scheme of, you know, repeating that ultrasound a few days after to make sure that that continues to be the case. So I'm going I'm to repeat that. In order to be making a rational decision to potentially not give anticoagulation, after you have diagnosed a single subsegmental then you should look for DVT. If they have DVT, then you have a reason to anticoagulate. Yes. If they don't have DVT, then it's a clinical decision based upon your knowledge of the patient, other risk factors, et cetera. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me, Greg. Uh, this has been very, very interesting, a very, very important topic for all of us who do either primary care or inpatient medicine. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your interest in the paper. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This discussion was somewhat wide-ranging in trying to understand the relevance of subsegmental pulmonary emboli. The first important point uh, is that you must verify the diagnosis. And if, in fact, you go to radiology and there is at least one subsegmental pulmonary embolus, then you should do Dopplers to look for deep venous thrombosis. If they have deep venous thrombosis, you clearly need to treat with anticoagulants. In low-risk patients, that is no cancer, no history of VTE, no oxygen requirement, and no other indication for long-term oral anticoagulation, the risk of subsequent VTE in three months was approximately 3.1%. That risk is significantly higher with multiple versus single subsegmental lesions and in patients older than 65. What this study really does is it gives us the numbers so that we can have a conversation with our patients about a decision to follow prospectively or to give three months of anticoagulation. We don't make a recommendation, but rather point out that each decision has to be individual, and the numbers in this study help us quantitate how to have that conversation. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.